Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, with your host, Rob Snowett. Take a dose of every day. How am I supposed to stay in a world built on empty ways? And the lessons of our rage. Thanks for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Rob Snow White. You are listening to Series 2, Episode 40. We have a Skype conversation in this one with Andrea Larko and Zeb Tonkovich. Andrea is an artist involved with several fly fishing manufacturers, and Zeb is a custom rod builder. And you're going to find out I really do not know much to anything at all about rod building, so you can kind of imagine me nodding my head while Zeb's talking, because a lot of the details and the mechanics of it, I am just lost, which is why I ask him the questions so I, as well, can learn about rod building. So sit back, relax. We're going to take a trip up to Indiana, Pennsylvania. And here we have Andrea, Zeb, and their bulldog. Hope you all enjoy this one. Let's get started with Andrea and Zeb. I guess this is like another A to Z podcast. <laughs> Pretty much. That's why I look yeah. at it. All right, so Andrea and Zeb, where, where are you checking with us right now? My Jeep. On the, on the road? Yeah. Yeah, we're driving. Well, he's driving. And I'm guessing Pennsylvania? Yeah, Indiana. Indiana, Pennsylvania. Yeah. That's got to be confusing sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, that's why like, I normally just say PA. It's, okay. Yeah. And are you both natives of Pennsylvania? Yeah. Okay. All right, so Andrea, I guess we can we'll do this in order because you were first in the alphabet. Um, who's <laughs> driving, by the way? Zeb's driving. Okay, I guess we'll start with you then. All right, that uh, works. 
All right, so which came first? You, you, you're a, a fly fishing woman, and you're an artist. Were you? Uh, which one of those came first in your life? Well, I mean, I've. I don't know. I'm. I'm not really sure how to answer that because uh, I'm not sure exactly when I became a quote unquote artist or a fly fisher woman because I'm still not the best at fly fishing. <laughs> I'm always still learning. But, um, I don't know, I guess I've been fishing my whole life and I started fly fishing around six years ago with Seb. So, um, I mean, but I went to college for illustration. That was my major. And I guess the art kind of came first, but the fishing art kind of came along the same time as me fly fishing. So they kind of went hand in hand. Were you that kid that would just turn out really good stuff in art class and the teacher was just like you know kind of took note of that yeah my, as opposed uh, to like the other kids that were just like eating the the paint and sticking crayons in their nose <laughs> well you know i would like to think so but i mean there's still a lot of other people in my class that were really talented and i mean even through college too i mean there's there are definitely people who stood out and our full-time illustrators right now that I graduated with. So, but I mean, in high school, I was definitely the, the person who took as many art classes as she could and kind of loved living in the, the art room. And my, um, my high school art teacher told me that when I become a famous artist, I have to buy him a Corvette. So <laughs> could that be a matchbox car? I mean, did they stipulate yeah, it had right. to be a drivable? Well, I'm at the point where I can, I can buy him a matchbox box car right now so yeah. yeah well i told my daughter we were flying back from australia like four years ago and i said if you stop crying for the rest of the flight i will buy you a corvette on your 16th birthday and within 30 seconds she was screaming i was like all right you're done oh that works no car for you yeah so and now you, this is your full-time gig now artist yeah i quit my uh day job last october so it's been almost well, close to a year in a couple months That's it'll awesome. be a year yeah Fantastic. All right. So what species you're, you're a brown trout angler, correct? That's your, you're usually going after browns. Well, it's not usually what I go after. It's usually what I catch. Okay. <laughs> the brown trout magnet. I usually, yeah. I mean, I target trout more specifically. Most of the times, look at the streams that I usually fish that are close to where I live. It's brown trout. And every now and then you'll catch a rainbow and maybe a brook trout, but I mean, with as warm as the weather's been lately, I haven't really been on the water. How far is the nearest trout stream to y'all? Uh, I can walk there in about five minutes. Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's right down the hill from my house. So, I'm, I mean, I have amazing water. Really, really close. I mean, it's hard for me to drive somewhere to fish when I can seriously fish somewhere so close. And, yeah, for wild browns and wild rainbows. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I guess I take that for granted. <laughs> so other than having Brooks Browns and Rainbows in your backyard, how do you choose the species that you want to illustrate? Um, do you have a bucket list? Is it recent catches, requests? Well, it started out with bucket list of what I wanted to fish or what I wanted to draw and what kind of fish I thought were interesting and I would like to draw. And, um, but pretty much since I've started, it's all been commissions that clients have requested. And that's 
has been every single piece that I have done for probably the last eight months. Are you home? Yeah, yeah, we just got home. Sorry. (laughs) We weren't uh, cutting out our own swear words there. That was the car. (laughs) Okay. So if you have like five people that request a brown trout, is it going to be the same brown or is each one going to be facing left to right versus right to left? Maybe a curve in the tail, different colors. Oh, everyone has like like, totally different design styles. And if they want something for a logo design or if they want something in certain colors or if they want it done realistically or done Zentangle. And some people send me the photographs that they want me to draw from. So I mean, I've done a lot of different brown trout, and none of them look anything like the one before. So there's. I can just I can hear the bugs behind you. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah, sorry, we'll go inside in a minute. There's crickets. There's that that's is for sure. I, I don't live in the middle of nowhere, but I mean, I don't really have any close neighbors, so I can hear my neighbor watching the football game. So I assume you're not Steelers fans if we're doing this on opening night. I, That's what they call it in football, opening night, season kickoff. I don't know. I don't really watch football. Do you watch football, Zeb? No. Okay. No, we didn't really watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes my job easier. Yeah, it's... I'm not, I'm not watching it. Yeah, we're not watching it. Okay. We just ran out to get those decals, and we were driving past a couple of people's houses, and everyone has it on their TV. <laughs> so the whole neighborhood, if you flew over there, the whole like, area would be lit up. Yeah, probably, which was nice because I had to stop and get a couple other things, too, and nobody's out because everyone's watching the game. So when you decide to start, a, let's, let's just go with that brown trout for our sample. It's it's our uh, our widget, so to speak. OK, so if someone sends you an email. Do you sit down with a Sharpie, a pencil, a sketch pen? You sit down at the computer first. How does what's the process of going from a blank slate to that final product? Um, well, I used to start everything out on, um, like sketching everything out on tracing paper because it's so much easier to sketch things out on tracing paper because you can erase whatever you want to erase and it actually erases instead of drawing on normal paper and trying to erase something. It doesn't fully erase and it's kind of a pain. So I used to sketch everything out on tracing paper and send those over to my clients and say, okay, you know, what would you like changed? And I can edit it really easily on tracing paper. But since I got an iPad, all of my sketches now are pretty much done digitally. And I just draw everything right there on the iPad because I'm not going through mounds of paper anymore, (laughs) which is a lot more economical for me. So a lot of my sketches are done right on an iPad. Just index finger? No, I have a stylus. Okay. I guess that's the new thing with the giant iPad. There's supposed to be a stylus with it. Yeah, there's an Apple Pencil. And as soon as I saw that demo, oh, God. You're like, oh, that's me. I don't know how how I can afford to get an iPad like that with all that everything extra that I want to get on it. But that would be so freaking cool. Absolutely. I still can't even use an iPad. My daughter has one. It's my wife's, but she uses it to watch cartoons. And <laughs> I find it just, I'm used to using my thumbs to type. Yeah. Not like my whole hand on that thing. I find it awkward. Well, it's basically like, they're saying it's like a MacBook Pro, pretty much, as a tablet. Which I can understand I why it's so expensive. But, I mean, geez, it's an iPad. That's, that's still a lot of money for me to want to put out there 
as something that usually I just do sketches on because right. a lot of my clients, they still want to purchase the original drawing. And if I do everything digitally, there is no original. Interesting. So, so no more blue, like original blueprint for you. No, but I usually draw outlines and everything and get the way that I want the fish to look down on my iPad. And then I go from there and print it out and just trace the outline on whatever drawing paper I want to do. And I use rapidographs from there, which are like technical pens and draw everything out by hand from there. And then you scan them to get them on a computer? Yeah, then I scan them and I clean them up in Photoshop. I'll take out any lines that I kind of messed up or kind of want to change. And I digitally color everything in Adobe Illustrator. That way, if anyone wants anything changed, it can easily be edited. And how long does it take? Are there some people that are super picky or people are just like, holy crap, that's amazing. Just just do that. <laughs> yeah, it takes all kinds. I mean, everyone's different. It's Some people have an image in their head of exactly what they're looking for. And I kind of have to try and figure out what that image is. And it takes me six, eight, 10, 12 sketches to get there. And some people are like, okay, I have an idea and I want, um, a design of a, like I just did a design for TCO and they're like, okay, I want a brook trout with Pennsylvania behind it. And we really want to have like the tail as a keystone. So I was like, all right. So I drew that up and I mean, keystone, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> so for those that are not familiar with TCO, can you Tell them what that is. Oh, TCO Fly Shop. They have three shops in Pennsylvania, and they sell a lot of stuff online. And every time I go fishing over at the little Juniata, we always stop there and buy flies and get gear. And everyone there is always so nice and really helpful. I mean, those guys know exactly what they're doing. So That's where George Daniel works? Well, he used to work there. Now oh. he's full-time doing, uh, going around and talking about his books and guiding. and Yeah, but that's where he's... That's where he used to work. Yeah, I need to get... I've never actually introduced him, like myself to him. We've never spoken. Oh, he's but, a really nice um, guy. Yeah, and I watch him all the time during his casting demos for like the last five years at the shows. Oh, they're ridiculous. And yeah, he gets in the water and rolls up his jeans. That, he's a tall man. I don't know where he can find jeans. <laughs> yeah, that man is tall. like a stork. Yeah. yeah, he's pretty tall. I've been looking at his dynamic nymphing book at the shop. And it, I mean, that's some technical, technical fishing. Yeah. Have you read that yet? No, but it's, it's like really going good. through like a, a cookbook of molecular gastronomy versus someone just making like a cheeseburger. <laughs> like the leader formulas are just I'm like, what? Well, it's, you don't make your own leaders. You don't tie your own leaders. Yeah. There's three, three foot sections of Berkeley vanish. Yeah. That's all I uh. use. Well, yeah, he definitely gets a lot more involved. And I'll yeah. tell you what, it makes it really does make a difference. But, you know, I still kind of suck at nymphing. And um, Zeb and I have a... We're going to go fishing with him, I think, in October. We have a day on the water with him. So that should be a lot of fun to try and learn some stuff that I'm not too familiar with. Because we both learned how to fly fish just by watching YouTube videos and... You know, catching, well, I don't know how many times I've caught lines and trees and or caught myself yeah. in the leg. <laughs> my, learn the hard way, you know? My client, Kristen, on Saturday was throwing out like 70 feet of line. I'm just like, where did you learn that? She's like, yeah, YouTube online. I was like, uh, okay. I was like, where was that when I was growing up? 
See, I guess that's the advantage of learning how to fly fish like six years ago is there was YouTube there and like we learned how to tie flies off of YouTube and through books and stuff like that. So it was definitely, it's a nice resource to have now. Yeah. But I mean, it's still not the same as having a guide on the water or an instructor there to teach you. Like when I was doing that able women and, and we went to Belize and I was learning how to double haul by Diana Rudolph and Ann Murphy. I mean, you can't put that on YouTube and it's not the same to have right. so like to have an instructor there teaching you is definitely yeah. a lot different. So I want to come back to the, the able women later on. Um, but back to the art. So you earlier you mentioned the word Zen tangle. Can you explain what that is? Because when you're flipping through Instagram or the fly fishing community on Facebook and we see your artwork, we know it's yours. It's it's that so distinctive. It's I mean, it's explain Zen Tangle to those who haven't seen your artwork who have and want to know how it's created. Um well, to me, Zentangle is just doodling. And I mean, I've been doing that my entire life. And I I never really knew there was a name for it until I started doing Zentangle stuff. And I was posting it online and some kid from overseas asked me if he could do a like high school project on me and my artwork and Zentangle. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, that's What's what you Zen? do. That's your style. I was like, oh, I didn't even it's, know. It's all these geometric shapes that, I mean, do you use like a protractor to draw the circles and then like a... Sometimes, I mean, but sometimes it's I like just looking do it through a, What's that thing you look through and you turn it and it changes colors? Like a kaleidoscope? That's what it's like yeah. to me. Well, basically, like the definition of Zentangle is pretty much drawing is a form of meditation to relax yourself and to clear your mind. It's supposed to be like very calming. Okay. So, I mean, it is calming. I enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and if your work is calm, then you found the, the right job to do. Yeah. Well, that's about 10% of the job. I mean, which is why it has turned into a full-time job because marketing and doing contracts and taking inventory and, putting stuff in my Etsy shop and going to the post office and packaging stuff. And I mean, that takes up about 90% of my time of what I actually do in a day. So let's get in. So what do you sell? What's, what sort of merchandise is out there? Soft goods, stickers? Um, well, in my store right now, I'm pretty much just selling decals and limited edition prints and open edition prints. And my clients purchase rights to use my artwork on apparel designs. So I don't have any apparel designs myself. Okay. So like the Sim shirt I got for my wife from the TCO shop at the Somerset show last year. So Sims gets, as the permit shirt. How did they go about getting your logo on their shirt for them to sell? Um, all they'd have to do is contact me and I write up a contract that says they want to use the design for, you know, a certain amount of time and how many pieces of apparel they want to put it on. And I get a contract out to them and I start sketches, you know, once I get to them on the list. And I mean, as soon as everything's done and paid for, I send them the artwork and they have it printed and it goes from there. Did Sims approach you? Yeah, they actually approached me through um, 
through Zeb, actually. He was friends with someone who worked at Sims and said, you know, mentioned my artwork to one of them and they looked it up and they approached me and said, would you mind if I shared my artwork with um, our de- our creative department? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I didn't think much was going to come of it, but they contacted me a few days later and it kind of all went from there. I'm, I'm still pretty excited and surprised that I'm working with Sims. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty and surreal. Any just really bizarre, like someone said, hey, can you make me like a blobfish? Any just really strange requests, like, uh, I don't know, like a hammerhead shark riding a unicorn. <laughs> kind of? I haven't had anything that crazy yet. I did do um, some label designs for a brewing company, for like a, a hard cider brewing company a while back. Um, did you get free cider? No, I didn't get free cider, but that would have been cool. I was supposed to, but I don't even know if he actually got all of that off the ground or what happened there. I never really touched base with him, but I actually do a lot of commissions that aren't fish or fishing related, but I just don't post them on my feeds because I'm trying to keep my, um, with what I'm doing fishing related in the meantime, but I actually do a lot of other commissions that are different styles and, have nothing to do with fishing art. So back to the fishing, have you done any besides fish? Like, have you done anybody say like, I need a hairs, your nymph Zentangled or, um, like a rod and reel, like other fly fishing things that are not specifically fish. Yeah. I've actually done some flies. There's a couple traditional Atlantic salmon flies that I've done cool. that are in my shop right now too. I have some prints available and some stickers and your stickers, um, vinyl. Yeah. They're, so they're weatherproof and they'll stay on your, your car. Yeah. They're all three on vinyl and they're all laminated. So I mean, they're not going anywhere. I have some of them on Nalgene bottles that I put through the dishwasher, and they're fine. (laughs) Colors aren't fading. Excellent. Yeah, and I try and have everything done locally. I mean, they're done a couple miles from my house. I have everything printed. I try and keep everything small business related and, you know, keep stuff made in the States because, well, I'm a small business owner myself now, so I like to support other people who are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Are y'all gonna have like your own booth at the Somerset show? Like half decals, half custom rods? No, we're not doing a booth, but we'll be there walking around probably again. Uh, that's the more fun part is the walking around and then going over yeah. to TKs afterwards. Yeah, and just hanging out. I'm too tired to ever go to TKs. I just want to go back and just sleep. It's just hard. I mean, to do a three day show is. I I just don't think I could handle that, to be honest with you. That's a lot. That's a lot to deal with. I mean, I do shows that are one day, and that's just, that's draining, you know? Uh, let's see what else. One of my questions. All right, so we, we mentioned Sims. We mentioned TCO. Uh, let's talk about VitaVu. How did you get involved with VitaVu? Did you contact Scott? He contacted you? Um, Scott actually contacted me, and some of my first apparel designs came out through Scott. And I've done a lot of work with him since then, and he's awesome. I mean, I love working with them. I do a lot of um, – well, the last few years, I did some hand-painted sling packs, and mm-hmm. they were raffled off for charity. I drew these really funky little 
doodle fish that were just like outlines with big eyeballs and kind of cartoony looking. And I gave him, oh God, I don't even know, probably 20 or 30 different drawings of those. And he put them out for... Is that Zeb's stomach growling in the background? No, that's, that's my a... dog snoring. Oh, that's the, bull, the bulldog? <laughs> yeah. That's like, so that Zeb weird. sounds hungry. No, we might have to move her in another room. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> I don't know. She's... That is worse than my mother-in-law. <laughs> and I hope she doesn't hear that. that Stone cold. Yeah, that's not even the loud snore. That's just like the typical breathing of a bulldog. Uh, yeah, so we definitely saw your stuff uh, at Scott's booth at, at ICAST this year. And so you've gotten awards down there through his company. Yeah, and through Sims. Yeah, I've been really lucky. And you're now, I mean, you're a common name in the industry. Oh, I am? I consider you are, yeah. Oh, sweet. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> that works for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the reason I go to ICAST is find out what's all new and, and innovative for the year and your stuff's always up there, so that, yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, I hope it stays that way. I mean, I keep getting these wonderful clients that contact me that want to work with me and do designs. You know, like I just worked with TCO, and I was so honored. I mean, and working with Sims is just amazing. And now I have reels out with Abel, and I'm doing um, – I'm working with Temperus, who does additions for Yeti coolers. And it's just pretty – it's pretty crazy. And I mean, the fact that I haven't gone out there and actively searched and asked people, you know, to do work and design for them, that they, that they appreciate my artwork and enjoy what I'm doing enough that they come to me is really humbling. It really is. How did the whole able women? So I was on Instagram and I see, uh, Rebecca red. She's like, oh, I'm headed to Belize. And then I see Nick and Cammy we're headed to Belize. And then I see you're like, I'm going to Belize. And I'm like, what is going on in Belize? This week? Is there something like, is this the week for, for like hitting a grand slam? And then I start seeing all the pictures pop up and I'm like, all right, something's going on. And then I see the hashtag able women. So, so can you explain how you, Lorianne, uh, Rebecca, Nick, Cammy, uh, and Meredith McCord were all down there. I guess doing a promo shoot. Um, well, we were actually filming for, we're doing an F3T film, so hopefully it, you'll see it and when F3T comes out this year. And then Abel is using your logos now on the reels. Yeah, they, well, at first I thought they just wanted me to do the logo designs for them, and I was like, oh my gosh, yes, of course I'll do that. Are you kidding me? That would be amazing. And then uh, they contact me again. He's like, no, we want you to be one of the able women. And I was just kind of like, shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty flabbergasted. And um, they were talking about how they wanted to do interviews and um they said that they were going to come up and interview me and they thought it was nice because they're in Virginia beach where, um, art web is. And he was going to come up and interview me. And I was like, Oh, that's nice. You know, you're not that far away. And then I got an email a couple weeks later saying that we're going to Belize. And I emailed him back and I said, I think you said this to the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, we want all the girls to go. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? So of course I'll go. Did you, hopefully you got a free reel or plural reel. Yeah, they gave everyone a, a reel go. and it had my artwork and the logo engraved on it and some um, shirts with the artwork embroidered on the back. 
and hats and it was it was really amazing we were out on the boats fishing and shooting and it was pretty surreal i still can't believe like i remember when nick and cammy were just this little married couple at at our beer tie events hanging out and then they started like shooting their dslrs and then we filmed a movie and then they filmed another one and now they're like, we're in Alaska, we're in Belize, we're yeah. out visiting Nick's parents in Durango. Yeah, they're awesome. And they're so nice. Seriously, they're, yeah, they're so nice. Fantastic. Yeah, I've been dealing with some health issues lately, which they just figured out is uh, actually called vestibular migraines. And I get really bad vertigo spells. And oh. and the funny thing is, like before I went down there, I was talking to my doctor and I was just like, I'm not sure how I'm going to handle being on a plane and being out on the flatboats, you know, and I didn't know if I was going to get motion sick or what. And here it ends up like I'm fine when I'm moving. It's just when I stop moving, I feel like I'm still moving. So, I mean, there was a night there when I was totally down and out and like Nick and Cammie, I mean, they're so sweet and every, all the girls were so nice and they're like, no, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. And I just kind of laid down for the night. I'm like, yeah, I can't even stand up. This is freaking awful. (laughs) But, you know, you do the best you can do. And I mean, that's why I think I don't think I'll be doing a lot of shows until I try and figure out exactly how to not be as dizzy as often, Uh, you know? Is it just like inner ear fluid? No, it's like I have sensitivity to light and noise and movement, like walking through, especially like a grocery store, for instance, and seeing things move on either side of me when I'm moving at the same time is just like really, it makes me really off balance and dizzy. Zeb's going to have to put you in the racing car car. I know, right? Oh, man. So like, but I've been dealing with it since last February. So I still... I don't want it to keep me from doing what I want to do. I just like, I think we're going to do Somerset and go walk around and meet and talk with everybody, but I can't do it for three days. You know, one or two is about as much as I can handle. So until I get it all figured out exactly, you know, because there is no real medication for it. All I can do is kind of figure out what my triggers are and go from there and try and, keep them under control because i mean it's even down to like when the barometric pressure drops i feel awful when a front moves through like a storm comes in i just feel i'm down and out like i can't function it's ridiculous that's no good yeah and it even is down to like certain foods that i eat can make it worse and all the marker fumes yeah (laughs) I think those might help. Those make me feel so, better. <laughs> remember the old, the old colored markers, like the blueberry one and the black one smell like Mr. licorice. Sniffy. Yeah, the gray yeah, ones so, are the best. So my daughter and I were watching like Nick Jr. and they were showing how they made those, and it was like a uh, skunk farted, and like some cartoon character like grabbed the <laughs> fart smell with a jar and like sealed it and brought it to the factory, and they're like, "That's how we get the smells in the markers." I was like, what? Oh, my God. That's ridiculous. I was like, that's a little gross, but I mean, farts are always funny, at least in my book. <laughs> yeah, my daughter hasn't discovered those yet. I did. Um, I was doing something with the outboard and the gasoline tank in the, in the carport. And she's like, ooh, that smells good. I was like, yes, it does not smell good, young lady. <laughs> that's ridiculous. So what's next for you? Um you know, more decals, you just can see, I mean, things just kind of keep 
Um, like it's like a snowball just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Are you just going to see where the road goes? Yeah. I'm trying to make new things happen. I mean, of course I'll still have decals and prints coming out, but, um, I would like to start my own apparel line and cause a lot of people keep asking me for apparel and specifically men's apparel. And I don't have any of that, you know, for sale right now through me. So, well, I don't have any apparel right now for sale through me. So, I've looked into getting some embroidery done for, you know, patches on hats and stuff like that. And I, the guy who prints my, um, decals also has, is a great screen printer. So I'm hoping to, you know, start getting some apparel stuff done. And I'm putting together a coloring book for adults of fly fishing stuff and a lot of my artwork. Cause a lot of people have asked for that and they're like, Oh, that would be so much fun to color. So yeah, and apparently, that's, that's like big now, the adult coloring Exactly, books. and I seem to be coming into that right at the time where yeah. that's getting to be a big thing, and a lot of people have actually asked me for them. So I'm not sure if I'm going to publish them myself and distribute them that way or if I'm going to look for a publisher and uh, have it worked out that way yet. I'm not – I haven't worked out the details, but that's that's definitely something else that's coming up. And um, I'm say – Hipsters in Brooklyn probably started it. <laughs> hey, I have coloring books. I still have coloring books. Even when I was in college, I worked uh, as a telemarketer, and I would call alumni and ask them for money to donate back to the college. I was like one of those really annoying people that call you at dinner, and you can't stand. <laughs> and I brought coloring books to work, and I would sit there and color. It is really relaxing. Yeah. I definitely, because my daughter just takes the crayon across the whole page. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get Olaf. I'm going to cover his his carrot orange and his his whatever coal lumps black. Uh-huh. It's, it's still a lot of frozen in our house. Oh, man. Well, then I think I'm, I'm also doing a collaboration with an artist in Alaska, and he hand carves these beautiful wooden fish. And he's, I purchased some off of him and he's going to send them down to me. And I purchased a whole bunch of one shots. I'm going to Zentangle some original hand carved one of a kind fish and see how those go. Cause I think that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. And what about uh, people with tattoos? You get a lot of tattoo requests every day. Constantly, like, really? seriously, at least once or twice a day. And that wants me to lead into copyright infringement. Oh yeah. That's a big one. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, the reason I asked for $150 for tattoo designs on tattoos or on designs that I've already completed. And that is if the artwork isn't already purchased by someone else to use, because I don't want to infringe on their rights, because if they purchase the design, you know, then it, that's out of my hands. Um, but if someone asks for a new design, any of my new commissions are $50 an hour. So... I mean, and I asked the same for tattoo designs because I don't really think it's fair for one person to say, I want to have this design as a tattoo. Can you draw it for me and have them pay me for it and then have everyone else just take it and use it? That's not really fair to the first person who purchased it, you know? Absolutely. But I mean, I can understand where they're coming from. And with the internet, the way it is now, a lot of people go online and they find a photo or an image that they like, and they take it to a tattoo shop and say, I want this tattoo. I mean, I used to work at a tattoo shop and that happens constantly. That's what most people do. But when it's someone's artwork personally, and there's a watermark over top of that image, 
I mean, that should throw some red flags up for a tattoo artist. And a lot of them contact me and say, is this okay? How much do you charge? And I tell them and they PayPal me the money and I send them the original file so their tattoo artist can use it and size it as big as they want. And I mean, that's it. But that's pretty cool on their end that they're they're respecting the work because they also don't want to have to do it work around a watermark on the image, right? Exactly. And a lot of my stuff that I posted online is low res PNG files. So as soon as they try and print it and blow it up to a size they want, all the details gone. So they're not going to get a high quality image or an image that has any sort of detail as far as having it done as a tattoo and something that's going to be on them for the rest of their life you know I, i've seen some bad tattoos out there yeah me too i mean it's not disney world <laughs> you can just sit at disney world and watch people go by and you're like what were you thinking yeah i mean it happens but my work is really detailed and i i don't think people realize that if they want all of that detail in a tattoo it's gonna to have to be pretty big Right. And a lot of people have done that commitment and, you know, sent me photographs of it and it looks awesome. And I'm so honored. That is like amazing. They want to have my artwork on them for the rest of their life. Or until the laser comes away. Yeah. Or t- <laughs> you the, the, the old, uh, anyway, 15 years ago, it was the, uh, the tramp stamp on everybody. And now they're all, all mom age and gravity hits us all at our ages now and things don't look the same. Yeah. It's not a tramp stamp anymore. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we saw Benji Madden at the zoo last week. Who's that? Uh, Good Charlotte. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, because they're local to DC. I think they're doing the sing-off for The Voice in Australia, but we're like, I was like, dude, that's totally Benji. (laughs) Who else around here has like a mohawk with every part of their body tattooed? Because he used to tattoo the logo of the bands they toured with on him. So this guy was inked up pushing like two little girls around. Oh my gosh. I was like, I think those are Nicole Richie's girls that he, or girl. I don't remember, but yeah, that dude had a lot of ink on. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I mean, it's so common now. And my, the way that I draw my designs, it really lends itself to tattoo work. You know, it's basic line work and fill. It's not a lot of shading or anything like that. It's not very complicated. So what it's, it's complicated for the artist to try and get it all done the way it, that I do it, but I mean, everyone still puts their bit of flair on it. So, and do you have ink? And if so, do you have any of your own work? Yeah, actually I do have two tattoos that I bought for myself on my 21st birthday as my present to myself. And I drew them. Um, and well, my the tattoo artist that I had them done with, he put his own little flair on them too. He kind of had a signature that he puts like these little stars and spots around all of his designs. That way everyone in the area knew that they were his. His little tag? Yeah. Instead of a signature, that was pretty much his tag. But they're actually birds and they're on my forearms. But I don't have any of my work done yet on me. I would like to, but... I just, I don't know. I haven't gotten around to it. One day. Do you just draw them on yourself with like the marker and then go out? Like, you give myself a fake tattoo tonight while I go out to the bar. <laughs> when I was in college, I used to draw myself all the time on my arms or on my legs when I was bored. Or I did it on a lot of my clothing, but then I ruined a lot of my clothing. So uh, You should just draw something like really absurd on Zeb's forehead and just go out to a bar one night and be like, oh, yeah, that's a real tattoo. <laughs> Like he's really into the TCO fly shop. He he or he lost a bet. He had to get it on his forehead. That would be hilarious. All my stuff is 
pretty well covered up. Yeah, he has a lot of tattoos. He's definitely got more than me. I seen you in January at the show, and it's like five degrees out, and everyone's just bundled up. Yeah. Well, it gets pretty hot in there, though. But anytime anyone comes in from outside. I have like 45 or 50 hours. Wow. Something like that. I can't remember. Yeah, but his are all hidden pretty well. I mean, unless he has them on his lower legs and on his sides. But so if he's wearing pants and a shirt, I mean, you're not going to see it. Even if I don't have a shirt on, you might not see it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he got that. He's not laughing. (laughs) Slightly furry. Mangora? Yeah. (laughs) The Mangora sweater. Well, now that we have Zeb, t- well, before we get to Zeb's part in this, uh, Andrew, where can we find you on Etsy and Facebook, Instagram, websites? Yeah, I'm anything on anything else where people can go buy stuff. Yeah, I'm on Etsy, andrealarco.etsy.com, and Instagram is just at andrealarco, and Twitter at alarco, and Periscope at alarco. That's through my Twitter account. I'm working on a new website right now, so my website is currently blank. If you go to it, there's nothing there. Because I'm kind of in the movement of moving stuff off of my Etsy site and opening up my own store on my own website. So I'm just rebuilding my entire website from scratch. You've got a Zentangle, a traffic cone, and the barrier that says under construction. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's going to come along here. But I just haven't gotten around to that quite yet. So hopefully before the new year, there'll be a new site up and... Um, some apparel designs coming out and some pretty big like wooden fish and oh I don't even know what else we'll see when we get there I mean Very there's cool. there's a lot of different ways I could take it so all right well Andrew I thank you for your uh, second interview here because oh thanks for folks calling. didn't get this last year yeah yeah absolutely and we're gonna extend this now to do uh, snowman custom rodworks yeah just so just, you just pass the phone over to Zeb. Yeah, we'll switch up here. So we're gonna switch. There you go. Is Zeb periscoping this? Yeah, it's up right now. It's right oh, okay. So how can I uh, pimp that out now to people? Oh, the whole periscope thing is kind of an extension of what Twitter has been doing. And how is so? If somebody, if I'm gonna put that on my Facebook right now, would I say go to Periscope yeah. slash Snowman Custom? Yeah, and then it's just under, I think it's under Cinematic Custom Rodworks. I can't even remember my own Periscope. Because, well, I don't watch myself, so. Right. If I did, that would be a little narcissistic, though. <laughs> I'm watching myself on Periscope. That I was going to put it on mine. That way I'm guaranteed one viewer. So if people don't know about Periscope, I, I heard about it from our neighbors during the Pacquiao fight. Oh, yeah. You just basically can look. At whatever someone's filming at the moment with their phone. Yeah, it's pretty much live broadcasting your life. And Andrea has done some sessions when she's been working on paintings. And I've done some sessions when I've been working in the shop and doing stuff like that. And it gets to be kind of fun, especially when you drop an X-Acto knife into your thigh. It becomes oh. rather amusing. Man, I got my hand caught in a pricker bush yesterday moving my client's fly. <laughs> that was gory. I lopped off the front of my... Uh, Middle finger on my left hand on Tuesday afternoon. So yeah, I saw that on Instagram. Is it gone? Gone? <laughs> no, it's it's there, but it's like I went dangling. I went through the nail and everything, and it's uh, you're gonna have to put a leech on that thing. Yeah, yeah. 
But uh, I, ironically, it's the third time I've got the same finger since I've been like 17 years old. I'm going to get you a chainmail glove like the yeah. fisherman up in Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about your rods. Um, custom rod builder. And it's it's uh, fiberglass rods. Fiberglass, graphite, and one to two bamboo a year. Okay. So how did you come up with Snowman Custom Rodworks? You were a snowboarder, right? Uh, skier. I worked in a skier. I worked in a ski industry since I was 15, and I was involved in the ski industry since I was three. And then when I was 15, I kind of my father gave me the option. He was like, "Listen, if you want to keep doing this, you got to get involved in it somehow." Because he's getting tired of buying all my equipment every year. <laughs> so uh, I ended up. I really wasn't too keen on the whole ski patrol notion. I'm like, well, ski school it is. And I was on ski school until I was 29, and I kind of wanted to take a break with it. But uh, what ended up happening was I collapsed two um, discs in my neck. And when I collapsed both those discs, I had to have cadaver bone inserted and have a titanium cage up the inside of my uh, spine in my c-section the c vertebrae area and uh i really haven't done much with the skiing thing since but i thought it was kind of neat i was teaching myself to rod build at the same time and others were teaching me to build rods at the same time so um when i realized i pretty much wasn't going back to the ski industry anytime soon and it was like okay we need to come up with a name for this i'm like i think snowman would be cool kind of like a, a nod to what i had done in life prior and just to keep it around so the whole snowman thing came about and i didn't know if anybody was gonna like it i thought people may have thought it was kind of cartoonish or something and it's kind of grabbed hold people so how long have you been building rods or then how long have you been doing it uh professionally been around at it for six years and i think um I think if you want to look at when the debut kind of happened with, I guess anymore, the debut is like social media. When you okay. do everything social media based with it, I guess that's when you kind of make it public. Um, the website's been around for three years now. The social media stuff about three years and the LLC has been three and a half years. So I kind of knew it was coming. And this is what you do when you're, you're moonlighting after work? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and last three or four months, it's been 60 and 72-hour days in the mill. So it's oh 72-hour days. Yeah. So it's it's a little bit um, a little bit exhausting to try to maintain the two and find that happy balance or not find that balance. Right. Did you have any influences like – a relative, the old guy down the street, someone in your shop that's like, hey, come come check me out and build rods. Uh, there was a couple local people that helped me out. And they were they were decent builders. And most of them were primarily around bamboo and like old restoration stuff, like some of the really, really old glass stuff. And that helped me out with that stuff, but there comes a point in time where you kind of have to separate from that and make it your own. And, uh, Russ from golden, Witch, I really just 
I liked what he did with the modern classic series that he was doing for a little while. I thought that was awesome. So a lot of my style evolved around, you know, what Russ said with the modern classics and I've kind of blended the two together is a little bit modern, a little bit classic, a little bit my own head thrown in there for good measure. Right. But yeah, I'd have to say, you know, Russ, I, I still really just love the old bamboo stuff. I'm not the world's biggest fan of building it, but I think there's something to be said for those rods. Whenever you look at one today that was like an old Hardy or even like an F.E. Thomas or something like that, you look at it and you go, that just looks good. And you're like, Jesus, it's almost a hundred years old. <laughs> they're still fishable. They're still fishable. And the design of it is still very relevant. And it just, they still look good. They don't, they don't look like mud flaps on a Lamborghini. You know, there's nothing there that is pointless. Right. So that's, that's like I had interviewed uh, Walter Weesey about flies. He had a six tenants of fly design. And one of them was like, no eyeballs on, you know, hoppers, no whiskers on mice. Yep. If you don't need it, don't add it. Right. I don't, I, I think it's, some of the stuff is kind of neat. Some of the little aesthetic touches, but it doesn't need to be something that's, so over the top, it takes away from what the rod is intended to do. Just catch fish. Yeah. Catch fish, good feel in hand, light, nimble. So why fiberglass is your major medium to work with? Uh, I, I think sage has kind of helped that a lot. You know, sage has gone so, so fast that if you look now, they're releasing that mod and they've had to circuit for a couple of years. Not everybody is going to fish drift water, drift boat water rods. You know, nobody had, you don't always have that 30, 40 feet to open up into a back cast. Sometimes you need something that loads in quick. You know, these little compact glass rods that people can actually feel them load. You know, the, they work, they're delicate, they're fun. And, you know, I think that's more of the performance side of it. But I think there's a lot of people who just want it because they're translucent and cool colors, which so, doesn't hurt. Oh, go on. Yeah. So what's the action like on fiberglass? So it's the opposite of that fast, um, like Harry Potter wand that you zap something out with. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can go all the way down to stuff that's parabolic, you know, very, very full flex. I mean, that would be something like when you get down around like the Ijwan, Yemoji, and rods like that. I mean, they're very, very deep flexing. They're more tactical, small spring thread rods. Or you can go all the way up to something like an Epic 990 that's a straight up cannon. I mean, it it's pretty much a carbon rod masquerading as glass so and the presentation you're gonna get it's gonna lay like a mayfly dry out there different than um like a scott radian yeah i think i think it's gonna be a little bit more touchy-feely a little bit more hands-on whereas you know the radians the sage ones the methods stuff like that i mean they're just designed to really bomb line out there so people are going sort of back to where things used to be like you see that guy get like in cocktails now it's like the old old fashions and sidecars 
Yeah. Uh, people are kind of going back to the way things were when things were slower and and more enjoyable. Yeah, and I think there's also, I kind of call it the Etsy movement, which isn't maybe the most accurate, but people really love handmade right now. Yeah. And I, I like it. I mean, I, I just bought two Benchmade reels this year. Well, I bought two Benchmades and a bunch of others, but I think people want that handmade thing. They want something that's um, exclusive to them, made for them, unique. And I think also with the glass, you get a lot of that uniqueness. And so would you say you got like the glass geeks? These are the guys that want these <sighs> small batch rods. I, I, I think that, I think everybody's taking that term so differently these days. You know, you got guys that want to buy 40 rods on eBay. You got guys that are looking for a certain profile of a studio thin line or a certain rod that Mario maybe produced eight, 10, 12, whatever years ago. I think you're, people are looking for that or they want a cab 702 or something like that. I, I think it all means something different to everybody. For me, if you say that I'm a glass geek, I like profiles. I like all different profiles and I like to understand what makes a profile work and get on deflection board and see the differences between profile X, Y, and Z and why I would choose X over Y in a certain scenario but, you know, glass geeks are people that just, they get into it. There's guys out there that know the history of them inside and out and front to back. And there's guys out there that love to collect the old Winstons and the old Scots. And that means something to them. So it, it means something different to everybody. I just, I really just personally, I cannot get into these old glass rods. I, I have a couple older Winstons, but they're just so heavy. <laughs> They're really the thick base on them, and yeah, I mean they're just heavy. They're they're fun to look at. They're great for the history of it. But if you give me the opportunity, give me an epic, give me a cab, give me a Ijuan, something that is just modern and light and a lot more usable, and my shoulder doesn't hurt in the morning. <laughs> my shoulder hurts because I went down a slip and slide last week. <laughs> And then I, I did something right after that, throwing the cover on my boat. So I, I got the orthopedist tomorrow at 11. <laughs> I can't, like, my left shoulder is not working. Yeah. Getting old. So, and so you don't make your rods. You source them from the people that know how to build rods. So right. you mentioned Epic. Yes. Um, they're out of New Zealand. Yeah, Carl McNeil and Jeannie. So they make, do they make them specific for you or you buy just the ones that they produce? Um, Epic's really cool that um, a few of us, like Shane Gray and myself, and I'm sure some of the guys overseas, you, you get a chance to work very intimately with Carl. And like, uh, I think it was last year, Carl said, Hey, I have, I have a couple of the uh, early slates here. I wanted to send you one to take a look at and you guys see what you think of it. See if we should explore this color. And he sent it over and I'm like, hell yeah. Translucent gray glass has to be done. And he sent me one in Shane. I guess Shane liked it too. And now we actually get to use that color, but 
Carl pretty much he works up the tapers and everything, and he works with the guys at CTS. And sometimes we get a chance to take a look at a profile before it's been released, and he wants feedback on it and stuff like that. And it's it's really neat to know that when you're talking to Carl about what you liked and didn't like, it's going to make a difference in the end product. And that's one thing that's fun with Carl. And also because I'm still kind of on the fast side with my rods, I like the faster glass stuff. Like I, I love the 476 and I love the 686 and the 580 is great. What, what are those numbers entails at length of them? The weight? Uh, the first number is going to be your line weight. And then the last two numbers is your length in the first number is your foot, and then the second number is your inches. Okay. Now, you mentioned line weight. Is there a specific line that's designed to go with these rods? Not, Are there, not really. I, I hear all these people talk that they love to put a double taper line on a glass rod, and I think it's so stupid. <laughs> just <laughs> Tell us that you really <laughs> It's just... <laughs> I hear this all the time. Everybody's like, oh, it needs a double taper. What are you? Then you might as well go fishing in wool pants. Yeah, what are you, 65? <laughs> <laughs> you smell like mothballs, yeah, man. Yeah, I, I mean, is it that and, like, you're wearing rubber Hodgman's? What is it? Oh, come on. I grew up on those new cream Hodgman's. <laughs> I said Give rubber. The, the vulcanized rubber Hodgman's. Oh, the hip waders. Yeah, those. I mean, really, that you got so many great lines out there. And, you know, now Rio came back to it. Royal Wolf came back to it. A couple others, they're all starting to produce what they call a glass line or a retro line or bamboo line or something like this. They're, they're building these lines that have a... Taking advantage of people maybe a little bit, saying, oh, well, you, you need this yeah, uh, specific line. At least those aren't double tapers. Those are they're, they're very, very skint lines. I mean, they're, they're really, really true to the line weight because if you look at Rio, um, I think the only line that Rio makes that is true to the line weight is maybe that Trout LT. So even if you pick up a Rio Gold, it's it's 15, I think it's about 15% heavier than what would be a true line weight. And then the perception is like 30% heavier. So a lot of these a lot of the glass rods, they're tuned around something. They they're tuned best or they're you can utilize them at their best whenever you line them as true as possible. And anymore, you never know what you're getting with a juiced up line. I mean, you can, like the Royal Wolf Ambush and the Orvis Bank Shot. And I'm curious to try the Bank Shot. I I, I need to just pull the plug and just buy one next time I'm at work. I have a, I have a couple of Royal Wolf lines, and they are so hard to look at. I mean, they it's like a licorice whip into a spaghetti noodle i mean the head is so huge it it, it looks like my big two-handed rods but the funniest thing in the world is put 20 feet out the front end haul on it once and the whole line's gone i mean it's just it's a shooting head i mean that's all it is but it no. just doesn't make sense but I, as far as specific lines go when you get in with when you're having it done by a builder most Builders are going to know about where you need to be on a line. Um, they can make recommendations on it. Like I know I have lines that I live, I love them on the 476 Epic, and there's lines that really are just phenomenal on the 686 and the Ijwans and the Cabs. I mean, you really kind of have a, you can talk to them about a good feel about 
where you want to be at, but it's also where the client or the user wants to be at with it. Maybe you really want something that just feels like it's in the back cast. When you load it, it feels like the tips touching your wrist. Oh, I love that full flex. Well then maybe you do want to go a little bit heavier, but I, I have a, I just have a hard time getting behind the double taper. Yeah. That's funny to me. Oh. All right, so let's go with the process of let's say I want to get a, a bamboo or a, geez, uh, a, a glass rod from you. So can someone go to your website and like kind of pick and choose like they're getting a sandwich at Sheets? <laughs> no, <laughs> it it kind of used to be that way. I'd kind of you know I I had a very very loose list that I worked from. I'd use REC, Struble, Lemke, and Bellinger for the real seed hardware and stuff like that and. Over time, I've I've kind of narrowed it way way down to products that I really really like, and as I start to produce bulldogs on the move, <laughs> as I as I start to produce um, less rods but more special rods, I've kind of gotten down to being just Ballinger and Golden Witch for my hardware, and then I'll also machine a lot of my own hardware. And, so how does that work? How do you, do you just take like a block of metal it's, and just like carve something out of it? It's all round stock on a metal lathe. Okay. So. And it looks like, are you making ring, like wedding rings? Yeah, I am. I've done a few wedding rings. I got to do another one here next week. That's, see, that's pretty cool. When you talk about people getting like handmade stuff unique for them. Yeah. A wedding ring, something that's pretty cool. And it's kind of fun. For the world's smallest handcuff, as yeah. I like to call it. But it, it can be a it can be a lot of fun to do stuff like that. And it's it, it's only been rings produced for guys in the fly fishing industry, which kind of makes it nice. Does someone ever ask like for stuff and you're just like, man, that's gonna look really ugly or that's not gonna work. Let me do you advise them on how to make it more aesthetic or yeah, a lot, fish better? A lot of times you do have to talk a lot of jumpers off the ledge. You know, you give people that they have all these ideas and they see maybe four or five or six rods that have been produced. They're like, they want elements from all of them. And it's like, you know, they, they worked well with what I was doing there, but not so much here. So can we maybe consider this, that, and another thing? And in the end, it, it turns out to be a better product. And there's also times when you get somebody who's asking you to do somebody else's signature style. Oh boy! And that's when, <laughs> that's when you're like, um, you know, I. And sometimes it's somebody that you you like the work yourself, and you're like, that's very specific to so and so. So um, if you want, I could talk to them for you. See if you want to go with them, or uh, I think you'd be a lot happier if they did it. Because although maybe you have the ability to do it, or it's something that's easy enough you really don't want to step on the people that you respect yeah now since you are like a, a brick and mortar store someone can't come in and cast a rod how do they know that what they're getting is going to be what they're looking for it's gonna um the, the grip's gonna be right for them it's gonna I've, cast what they're looking for i've gone as it, if it's a profile, if you're perplexed, if you're going to like the profile um, and it's glass, which maybe isn't as easy to get hands on with, 
is if you wanted a Sage 1, a Sage Method, a Salt, a Winston B3, something like that. Um, Cameron at the Fiberglass Manifesto, he has the Rod Loan program. So you can go on there and you could ask to get on the list or have him send you a profile so that you can play with it and understand it. And um, I've offered personal rods of mine to a few people to play with them if they want to do that. And also if they want to take a look at my work and see if it's what they think or if it's what they want. And then when it gets down to um, actually building a rod, like is this cork going to be okay? Is it going to be, I don't want it too small, but I don't want it too big and I don't want it this. And I want, more on the front, but less on the back. Or so and so, or such and such. And what I can do usually is get the handle turned down. I'll just send it to wherever it needs to be. Like get it in your hand, make sure it fits, make sure it's right. All right. And then if it's not, tell me what it needs to be, more or less, whatever, and go from there. Now, with all that going, say if you have to send something to somebody and they send it back, what's the turnaround time from when? I'm assuming someone gives you a deposit before you even like put this thing on the is the rod lathe that what do you call that little oh I, I don't I know nothing a, about what we're talking about that's why I'm talking to you. Some people call it a rod wrapper, but I call it a rod bed because mine's pretty long. I have it's technically my wrapper could be like eight feet long, but I don't put my other section on, so my rod wrapper is four feet long. I just call it a rod okay. bed because it's pretty much where I lay the rod down. But as far as deposit goes, right now, just because of how bad things have been with my work schedule and trying to get everything done, I don't take a heel on that finger. No, that doesn't bother me. Say my middle finger on my left hand, so I only really use that for one thing. But um, the I don't take a deposit on a rod. I you know most of my clients are repeat business and they're very good to me and they're very good people, so I don't really ask for a deposit. I'm just pretty much like, listen, if you want it, I'll build it. And when I get to it, I get to it. Unless it's really, really off the wall blank. Like if it's something that it's going to take me a while to get, or if it's something obscure, then yeah, I will ask for a deposit. But most of the times anymore, I don't. I'll float the build till the end. And if they don't want it, I know I could probably move it pretty easy. Are there any trends in rod building that people are seeing on social media and they're like, I got to have this. And you're another one of those things where you're just like, yeah, I'm going to advise against that one. I saw this one for a minute and I think it, it's, it's really strange to me is the carbon fiber handles and the synthetic handles. I just cannot get behind that. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, I've, it's, I mean, it's been cork for a long time for, no reason. Yeah, and that's kind of my thoughts on it. It's like cork indoors, and it's been around forever, and there's a reason why nothing has replaced it in all these years. With that being said, I am starting to play around with doing some rattan stuff and doing stacked leather, and I've done a few birch bark handles, but it, it's all about the design elements. Does it work with the overall image? And if it works with the overall image, I'm for it. But the synthetic stuff, I'm just... My head isn't with that. And so I had some client of mine had a wooden handled rod. Yeah. I was like, do you realize how heavy this thing is because <laughs> of this? And like your, like I touched it. It was a summer day. I'm like, my palms are already sweating, dude. <laughs> you know, I don't object, you know, to a rod being heavy because I like, 
I like to have a lot of weight in the back end of a rod centralized because that allows me to use this really, really light reel as opposed to maybe having a tip heavy rod where I got to use like a seven ounce reel. If I can use a real light reel and move that center of balance all the way up to that reel seat, it could be a heavy rod, but it still feels light in hand because the, the, the way of the reel is adversely affecting it so much less. It's so much, it just, it's, it's a weird thing to understand, but it's kind of like a golf club. When you get that heavy headed golf club where, you know, you might have a, a lob wedge, it's like D six or D seven swing weight. It's kind of the same thing when you have that heavy ass reel hung underneath there. It just kind of like a, a good kitchen knife. Yeah. It makes it feel more clunky than it needs right. to be. Now, do you believe in the whole, like your reel has to balance on your rod? Oh God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, because you can, a rod that balances out real well and, and balance points a little bit different for everybody else. A lot of people say right on the first inch of cork. Some guys say, oh, I like it two inches back. Others will say, oh, I like it out past the winding check. Well, that's all well and fine. Cause that that's a little bit more personal preference. But if I grab a rod in hand and the tip goes straight to like 11 o'clock, I, I really don't even care to cast it. Or if I grab the rod and the tip pretty much lays on the ground in front of me, again, I don't care to cast it. Do you have a, a preference for real brands and models? Duh. He loves Able because <laughs> I work with Able. So just like you love there. Snowman Custom Rods. What? That's all you fish, right, yeah. Andrea? <laughs> Actually, yeah, that is pretty much all I can afford to fish because he builds rods for me for free. Otherwise, I couldn't afford them. His rods are beautiful, but they're out of my price range. Isn't that some <laughs> shit, huh? Well, I got, I actually was able to hold one of your rods. It was the casting for recovery rod. Oh, you got to see that. That thing was, I mean, just stunning to look at. My sisters bought tickets to purchase to try and win that rod too. That rod is just gorgeous. Oh my gosh. That rod has one thing on it. I will probably never do again. What? That real seat. What's wrong with the real seat? Nothing's wrong with that real seat. It's just that, uh, that one had that, uh, Aluminized acrylic resin. That was a filled burl cap, so it had that purple in it. I thought that looked really cool. I thought it did too. I thought it looked it looked interesting. It's just one of those things. I I really like all natural woods, but um, reels. Oh boy, let's see. I just took delivery of a Chris Henshaw. Because I see you post these reels yeah. on Instagram. I'm like, where are these things coming from? They don't look any, like anything out there. Yeah. Oh, uh, he has an eclectic eye. For cl- they're definitely artisanal reels. Yeah. I, I just bought the Chris Hen- – well, I just took delivery of the Chris Henshaw. And I, I'd say right now that probably has to be a personal favorite of mine. I, I really – I love Chris's work. Um, Tim Galinas made a Farlex reel for me this year, which I think is just awesome. The thing is, you have to wear earplugs if you have a fish on. I mean, it is just a battle rattle. And I really like Ari Hart reels, if you could find them. So where where do you find these kind of down-low reel company people? <laughs> well, you got like a back alley, someone like opens up a French coat and you whisper. It kind of feels that way. Um the, the, the Chris Henshaw thing, um, I literally had to get his email address from a friend. Wow. 
and uh, he Jared had owned a reel from Chris and he was coming down to PA to fish with us and he's like do you want me to bring the reel with you I'm like yeah don't leave New York without it so he brought it down I was looking at it and I said to Andrea that night I said I gotta have one Jared's like you need his email address I'm like yeah He's like, yeah, just just try emailing him. He'll he'll probably get back to you. I'm like, oh great, this is gonna be fun. So, um, that dealing with Tim at Farlex, that was pretty easy. That was a couple emails. Um, the Ari Hart thing, you kind of have to be on the prowl for him to find the ones that you want. And, um. I think I have one or two from eBay, and then there was a shop in the area that was actually dealing Dutch reels, which was uh, uh, Ari-inspired designs. Like, Ari lended his designs to him through licensing, and the local area shop was selling them when they were around, so I bought a couple from them, and I bought, I think, one from John Lindemann over at Class Reels in the Netherlands, and uh, another one may have came from Gary Seimer at uh, vintage fly tackle and I just like different reels I'm not really all that attached to rods I, I really I just love reels so I I'm always looking I'm not always buying but I'm always looking so I've I found some really neat ones and we've been talking slowly that you're probably within the next 10 to 12 months going to see a reel from me Ooh. Could it look like a snowflake? No. That would be so cool. <laughs> like, so I, I'm guessing with your skills, you probably have something pretty cool that you store and display these reels in. Yeah. My, Did you build something? My, I have a shoe holder my, that goes over your door. <laughs> my Orvis safe passage. I always, um, I, I always have most of my reels that I know are in the lineup for fishing with me. Um, because a lot of times if I change a rod and I decide to change a line, I decide to change a rod. I know certain reels balance real well on them. So a lot of times I end up switching a lot of things around. But um, most of my reels, if they're not in my safe passage, they're sitting on the back of my one bench in my shop. Kind of leaned over on their edge. Because I just like to look at them. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, See, I'm a fly geek, so I've got flies like all over the place. That's what I just sit and look at. I have um, my one four rod dryer across the back of my four rod dryer. It has a it has like a channel cut in it. So I have a bunch of uh, Pat Cohen's spun deer hair flies lined up on it. I have flies from uh, Nick Davis, the two three nine. They're on there, and then I have. Uh, I think there's a couple of poppers up there from Jeff Price and J and M flies. You post you did you fish that one today? Uh, I didn't get. I kind of thought ah, I might have a few minutes to fish at like a pond, and I'm like, I was looking at time. I'm like, yeah, nope, they got it. <laughs> so I had a, a client the other day from Texas who was just they just wanted to visit DC, and he's like, dude, I love those flies. He's like, that's the only popper I'll fish in Texas. Yeah. I was like, he's right up the street, man. Yeah. He's like, really? I was like, yeah, he's a man. Yeah, I was, whenever I taught that, uh, whenever I taught that class for Project Healing Waters, whenever I came down, like, right outside of D.C., and I taught that. Yeah, Walter, Walter Reed? 
Uh, Is that Walter Reed? No, I seriously don't. Belfort. For Belvoir, okay. Yeah, that's where I was. That's that's right near me. Yeah, I was I was down there in ten minutes. February? It is down there in February. And I taught a class down there. And uh on my way back I actually stopped off to see Jeff. And uh he's got a lot of glass rods. Yeah, he has two from me. Um he has two. He has stuff from Shane Gray, Matt Lederman, Christian, a bunch of guys. And uh he had this I don't think anybody even knows this story. I don't even know if Andrea knows this story. He had this rod that he said it needed rewrapped. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I could do that. I could rewrap this thing in like an hour. And he goes, really? I said, yes. You want me to do it? No. I said, I just got done teaching the class. So I have everything with me. He's like, if you don't mind, I'm like, well, you're feeding me and you're giving me beer. I'll wrap the rod. Yeah. So I, I twisted it up real, real quick, and I said, do you want it signed? He goes, no, nah, I don't care. I said, I'll sign it. He goes, you sure? I said, yeah, I'll sign it. I signed it, Snowman, 1968. So people think it's, like, super old? <laughs> yeah, I think I even de-stressed the signature on it. But the irony <laughs> the irony of it is I wasn't born until 79. <laughs> I figured that. Yeah, so, I figured you weren't born in 68. Yeah, so that was kind of fun to do that. And uh, It's like the store that says antiques made you know, daily. Yeah, antiques made daily. <laughs> Traditional Amish furniture imported from China. Right. Yeah, yeah. so I, I did that. And I, I don't know. He, I don't even know if he fished it, but he owns an Ijuan from me, and he has, a, he has an Epic from me. And his, his flies, they are amazing. Yeah. He's got the whole family involved too, which helps him. My, I'm surprised. If I, I mean, I'm down here in the basement, as far away from everyone as possible. They want nothing to do with, with the fishing. Yeah, um, Melissa ties, but she never, she doesn't fly fish. And Jeff said that when they go out to fish together, she cheers for the fish when they get away. <laughs> that, that's pretty funny. Yeah, she's on the, uh, she's on the side of the fish. She would have been cheering for the bluegill yesterday that there was a largemouth that it had to have just been waiting for us to catch a bluegill. And the thing was, you know, I filmed it, but I'm not releasing it because it's just unethical just to keep kind of tossing this bluegill out mm-hmm. and see what happens. But yeah, if you want to throw a fly for a largemouth, it should be the size of your hand and bluegill shaped. Yeah. It eventually ri- it ripped two of them. All. I broke the, the test. I guess it's abrasion from its teeth. Yeah. Pat just, Pat just tied that up. That display that was all the bluegill around the log. Yeah. I thought that was pretty neat. All the spun deer hair bluegills. But I think we're getting off subject somehow. Always. Yep. With me, at least. <laughs> I never stand subject. So what else What else should we, we people out there learn about your rods? What's the process? Do they go to the website if they want to buy one and it, start the conversation? Anymore. When, 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 do you have like you know I'm not doing rods until like January 2016. Do you have like a date? Yeah, I, that, right now I do. Right now it's like, um, and it, it's kind of like, all right, I got enough work to keep me going for a very very long time. So I'm not really looking to book anything until I get under a certain number of rods that are still left in my kind of waiting list and and with things getting better at work i'm actually starting to get a little bit more caught up right now um better than i have in a 
a long time. Well, better than I have in the last four months. So probably around January, I'll probably look into booking maybe two or three in. I think that's about the threshold of what I book in. But, you know, I never tell people not to contact me because if you have a really, really awesome idea, something I really get excited about, as long as you can wait, I'll always slot it in. And that's that's kind of in the way it goes. But it, it's been really, really hard this summer with having no time off. I remember last year, I think we fished over in state college three or four times during the course of the summer. And this year we struggled to do labor day and a two, three day trip. Uh, when was that? End of July. Yeah. Yeah. It's been that busy. Would you ever consider like having someone work for you? No. Kind of like Rembrandt did? No. Just can't trust. It's got to be your hands and your eyes. I'm so damn picky about everything it, it has to be just a certain way right and I, I think you you'd pretty much have to have the screwed up brain that i have to even understand it and i don't wish that upon anybody because even before i start to build a rod i, I can see the rod finished i know how i want it to look finished and if i don't get there I feel bad for somebody else trying to get there. It would be, I don't think anybody would last as an employee. (laughs) (laughs) I think the turnover would be insanely high, but I, I think, I think what you'll see within the next year is I'm going to start to build a lot less. A lot less. I'll probably do 12, maybe 14 rods in a year. And there's going to be more of the emphasis on getting the signature line up and running, which is getting real, real close with the signature hardware and all that other stuff. And some of the other products like the burnishers and the inks and the varnishes and all the finishes and stuff. And I'll start to work more with that stuff. And I might start to teach classes more. So I'm going to try to, I say it every year, I'm going to try to better manage my time and my schedule, but it's been, I think we all say that. Yeah. Yeah. And every year it doesn't get any better, but that is kind of what I'm actively going to pursue. I hope. Anything else you want to mention before, uh, start wrapping things up? I think that's about it. I guess things that people will be seeing soon is, um, I've shipped a bunch of rods and I've finished a bunch of rods this year, but I haven't had any time to edit any of the photos on them. So they're kind of like the lost files of 2015. So I'm slowly getting through a bunch of those photos, getting everything edited, getting them all posted. Um, There will be, I've started on them, the limited edition Epic 990. I started work on those. So you'll see those here probably in four weeks. Okay. Then there's some there's some other goofy stuff, and I think we're gonna do 
the event on the water next year? Yeah, first day of spring. Yeah. Is that like op- the opening day in Pennsylvania? It's a week before. Yeah, it's before opening day, but it's at a private club, so. Ooh. Yeah, private water. And we just have people that come down and fish and meet us and hang out. And if they want to fish with some of the rods that Zeb has built and check out his real collection. (laughs) 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 And buy some artwork or or some decals. But, I mean, we both go fishing and just hang out. And everyone just, it's a relaxing day. It was a lot of fun last year. Do you ever have someone show up at your house? Like the other, the other, like on on uh, Sunday morning, I'm just sitting here. It was a late Saturday night at the pool, so I'm uh, I'm like trying to just kind of get a nap in at like eleven, and these two guys like pull up to our house and start getting out, like walking up the driveway. And my wife's like, "Uh, can you go find out what's going on?" And they're like, they wanted to like shop for fly fishing equipment, <laughs> assuming that the house was like a fly shop. And I was like, yeah, that's not what I do. Your wife probably would have let them in. <laughs> She's like, get them out. If you guys would have stayed asleep on the couch 10 minutes longer. Yeah. So no, no one's like come knocking on your door. Like I need stickers and a rod. Yeah. That's well, actually people have stopped in my house and asked, you know, they thought my, I had an open studio and that I had work for sale here. And I'm like, no, it's, you know, all online, but you know, Seb and I are looking at purchasing. That sounds like a Meryl Streep movie. (laughs) Well, we're looking at maybe getting a house that's also zoned commercial so we could open up a little shop and do something like that. I think that would be really cool, but is uh, that a guard dog we also hear? No, that's, a, that, that's, that's the same dog. I mean, I'm, does she, is she a guard dog? No. Is she? Like, she'll just roll over and be like, scratch my belly. And yeah. Or she'll the TV. Away. Yeah, but the thing is, if you got pants on or have strong ankles, you're not, you don't got to worry about much. I'll be... Sh- leave, leave my pants the, car. the thing that keeps most people out of my shop is I work nude, so that's a huge deterrent. <laughs> Well, it's a good thing you're not cooking with like hot oil. <laughs> yeah. Drop a little bit of. Uh, Why do you think he actually there? gets hurt so much? <laughs> <laughs> Hurts so much. Jeez. Might have to get you a chainmail. Yeah. Boxer full suit. Or something. <laughs> and, uh, no, I I just uh, people have asked about it, and I'm like, listen, I have a closed door policy, and I'm like, it's not to be a hermit about it, although I am a hermit, not to be like negative about us. Like, listen, I only get two and three hours at a time in the shop and I pretty much have to get everything done. I can. And then even on my off days, you know, I need those off days to, to accomplish as much as I can. And that's why, yeah, I guess we have kind of, we have kind of talked about doing a shop of some sort or doing a, a commercial um, space and having like an open day or something like that. But a little open house. Yeah. Very cool. Where can uh, where can we find y'all on the Snowman Custom sites and Instagrams and all that uh, with the, with the underscores in there. Right. Yeah, snowman underscore custom underscore rod underscore works is the Instagram, and then uh, the Facebook page and the Periscope 
is Snowman Custom Rodworks, all one word, I believe. And I think that's about it for me. So can people, is Periscope just live or is there like an archive of what you film that people it's can a, go? It's a 24 hour archive. If you want to actually go back through and watch the stuff, you can do so for 24 hours before it gets deleted. Okay. Well, I'll send that out to everybody this evening. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for uh, doing a late podcast with me. And I guess we'll see you at the next show or maybe before or something else. Yeah. We, we got the bulldog ice skating because the whole time we've been doing this, we've been, we've been cutting out stickers. Her new stickers, my new stickers. And now she's standing on all the off-cut 3M material, and it's like an ice skating ring. Funny. So we got a bulldog sliding around the room. Wow, don't cut yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I've done enough of that lately. Yeah. You really do put your blood, sweat, and tears into it. Yeah, unfortunately, it seems to be working out that way. Yeah. All right, well, everybody, thank you so much. and uh, Thanks, Rob. Maybe I'll have to do a follow-up after your spring event. Awesome. Yeah. You should come. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'd have to do that. We'll broadcast from up there. That would be yeah. really cool. You can catch some huge trout. Yeah. I like I like trout. I haven't caught a brook trout in uh, it's been over 10 years. What is it? A, it's brook, brown, rainbow, tigers. and tigers. Oh, cool. I've only seen one tiger before. So uh, Nice to get another they're one. They're like a freight train. They're fast I and like aggressive. Yes. It's not a freight like. trout club. You should definitely stop by. It would be really cool. We'll do. We do a live periscope feed. <laughs> yeah, we, I, I think we'll do it a little bit bigger this year. Last year was kind of fun, and I don't think Andrea fished, but I think I just pretty much laid out all the rods on the table, and I disappeared. And then I came back, and then I disappeared again. And I yeah, I back. didn't fish last year. I couldn't. <laughs> I demand the table. So, all right. Well, thanks again. All right, Rob. Have a good night. All right, we'll see you soon. You too. Cheers. Take care. Later. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.